Hey everybody, welcome to the podcast, Working Drummer. This is our very first podcast. We've got David Black. He is a Nashville drummer on tour with Easton Corbin. We had a great time talking to David. Uh, he's got lots of great stories, and uh, we're just real excited about what's coming up with this podcast. If you want more information about this or other podcasts coming up in the future, go to workingdrummer.net. Or, of course, visit us on uh, Facebook. So, uh, here's David. Enjoy. Which is awesome. But that's the first thing I saw is the Don Henley signed drum head. Yeah. But were you... Okay, your sister got that for you. She did. It was a Christmas gift. Oh, wow. All right. Um, But did you... Have you met him? I'm not, and I'm actually afraid to do that uh, because uh, of of Don's reputation. Yes, you know what I mean. But yeah. uh, his music has meant so much to me. You know, yeah, his songwriting, yeah, yeah. Uh, and the Eagles and his solo stuff has meant so much to me. I feel like it's one of those things where if he was not so nice to me or cast mm-hmm. me aside, it would mm-hmm. crush me to the degree that the, you know the degree to which I idolize him would lessen. You know what I mean? And so I probably would never approach him. I could be standing next to him and I probably would never say anything because I don't wanna <laughs> I don't wanna tarnish, you know, that. You know, that I, this is a cool thing because one thing that you do is you sing. Mm-hmm. And that is kind of a rare commodity or it's less common with drummers than I think any other instrument. Yeah. Um and I've only ever once gotten a call for a gig, and they say, do you sing? No, I don't sing. Mm-hmm. Well, I really need a drummer that sings. So, okay. Sorry, I can't use you. But working with Easton, I know you sing. Mm-hmm. When you guys have done acoustic stuff, you sang. I mean, do you think that's been a secret weapon? Do you think it's been like a really good thing or just kind of a bonus? Like, hey, look, I play. I play really well. I do this stuff. But also on top of that, I can sing if you want me to. Yeah, it's kind of what I consider myself to be—a singing drummer. You know what I mean? Oh, I think. Uh, I mean, that's how I refer to myself. If somebody were to ask me, but it, like when I do gang vocal stuff on Eason and I do sing the high part on all the acoustic stuff. Mm-hmm. But when I was hired to play for Easton, their harmony vocals were already in place. So they hired me as a drummer alone, which was great. I yeah. loved that. You know what yeah. I mean? Because mm-hmm. I still like to be able to get. You know, a gig just on, if you don't need me to sing at all. And I'm not one of these guys that needs to hog the mic either. Like, I want to sing that part. That's mine. You know what I mean? I'll just, you know what I mean? I'm not really, I don't care about that. But if they need me to, I enjoy it. And it's kind of what I do. So I guess it is kind of a secret weapon, I guess. Well, I'm also wondering, I mean, do you ever do a gig where you're only singing? Have you ever been hired to do, you know... Maybe a backup I've, vocals session work or anything? I've done a few yeah. demos singing the vocal yeah. or some of the background vocals yeah. uh, here and there. But now that is a little bit a roller skate on roller skates thing for me. You know yeah. what I mean? That's not, I'm used to having sticks in my hand. Right. And, you know, playing, even like standing in front of the mic with nothing and just headphones on and singing the thing, it does feel a little awkward to me. Yeah. You know what I mean? I don't really know how to approach that. I've not done it enough 
where I'm comfortable with it. You know what I mean? I can pull it off, and it you know it, right. it's going to come off okay. But it that part of it does feel a little bit un, unnatural to me. It kind of reminds me of the time when when they say, "Hey, can you add this conga part?" Uh, yeah, sure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it it's be a the drum. Same way. It's a drum. I understand that it's the concept there. I would be the exact same but, way. Uh, yeah, drum set is your instrument, but yeah. I've done that, too. I've faked my way through a few things like that. Hey, we have some bongos over here. Can you play a little... And they're not uh, bongos. They actually are not really bongos. They just call them bongos. They just happen to be hand drums. I'll try, you know, and they... You can tell they track it, but they go, okay. Okay. We'll move on. (laughs) (laughs) Can you play two bars and we'll fly the rest? Yeah, yeah. your gig with Easton Corbin and all the work that they're doing, traveling that's involved, and you've got a young family. Uh, You've got a one-year-old who's asleep right now. Yeah. Uh, Which is good. Yeah. (laughs) Um, So what's that, man? What's that like? It's been a... You know, it's it's changed things a little bit, you know, in terms of the way I view being out on the road a little. You know, when you're single, of course, when you're single, you don't care about anything. You know what I mean? Right. And you got nobody to answer to. They can mm-hmm. they can send you to Poland, you know, mm-hmm. for uh, six months, and you'd be like, "That's fine, I don't care," because you're you know usually you're young and dumb and yeah. and you know you're now we're old and dumb. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> um, you don't really care that much, even when you know. Since I've been married, I knew it was a little tough on my wife. Uh, especially when we'd be gone for a couple of weeks at a time and maybe, you know, she had a day job and she came home and it was to nobody but the dog, you know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. Which, you know, I realized was, was tough on her. But once you have the baby, man, you know, they don't really know what's going on, you know what I mean? They don't they don't understand, hey, daddy's leaving and he'll be back in a little bit, you know yeah. what I mean, or a few days. Now, how long, you know, my son thinks a little bit is, I have no idea. Right. But it's a little harder to walk out that door than it's ever been before, you know. So that's why when, you know, when I'm gone and I kiss him goodbye, and I go, we go and get on the bus and we go to God knows where and come back whenever we come back, I usually try to make it all about them when I come back. Yeah. You know what I mean, it's, when you're I don't home. really go out and do anything. If, especially if I've been gone for, you know, a week or so and I'm only in for three or four days, I'm going to be here and doing something with my family and yes. that's it. Yes, yes. When you're home, you're home 100%. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's for sure. Definitely. The funny thing about, you know, in terms of balance, I posted a picture of this on Facebook, by the way. You may have seen it. Yeah. I don't know. But Wednesday night, this is, a, I don't know, several weeks ago, I posted a picture of what I was doing Wednesday night and 12 hours later. Yes, I do so, remember. Yeah. So I was in Louisville playing the Yum Center for an FFA thing. Mm-hmm. You know, Easton and Justin Moore, 18,000 kids mm-hmm. inside that arena. And we play 45 minutes. And in 12 hours, I'm yeah. sitting at circle time mm-hmm. at the Mount Juliet Library, mm-hmm. clapping and you know, singing a silly <laughs> song and taking the parachute with other parents yeah. and, you know, waving it up and down. Yeah. And that, to me, is a good example of trying to, yeah. you know, balance those two things. Well, and I think one thing that I love about sometimes when you're out traveling and you're on the road playing with a band and there's all these fans that are there to see who you're working with or whatever and they're interested in what you do they're interested in in uh, and they think that you live this somehow 
you live this life that is removed from reality in, in what they think is reality, what they know to be reality. Mm-hmm. And so they want to know, where are you going next? What are you doing? Well, we head back to Nashville. What are you doing when you get there? Yeah. Well, I have to mow the lawn. Yeah. Uh, I've got some laundry. Um, <laughs> we've got story time at the Central Library yeah. uh, with my, <laughs> you yeah. know, those are things that uh, I think that people really need to know. It's like... It's hard for me to imagine that, you know, the way I thought of, you know, and I'm not a rock star, but the way I thought of rock stars when I was growing up you yes. know, was such a, and for all of us probably, was such a mystical thing. You know what I mean? Yes. You thought they kind of floated down somewhere and landed in a limo and, you know what I mean? Yeah. And, and, and went and did their show and somehow just, you know, took a helicopter somewhere else. You know what I mean? And the show was magical and the lights came yeah. on and you yeah. saw them and, you know, you took your breath away. You were just so black yeah. and trained. Oh, my God, this is unbelievable. There he is. He's right yeah. there. Yeah. You know, it's hard for me to imagine thinking of anything that I'm involved, people th- viewing th- me as anything in that realm. You know what I mean? I guess, but they I guess do. some kids do. Yeah. But they do. It's hard for me to wrap yeah. my brain around that because, you know, for yeah. me, it, it doesn't feel like that at all. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's exciting. You know, the lights go down and we go on an intro and we walk out and we're in the dark and the lights, you know what I mean? Yeah. There's a little bit, a little bit of, of that. But if, if kids now or teenagers or even young adults, whoever, think of me or my bandmates or anything I'm involved with in those terms, that's crazy cool you know what i mean it is crazy cool but think about when you were that age <laughs> and what inspired you i'm like, sipping on coffee right now that's where it's don't like, do that if you hear dribble coffee. that's what it is Go ahead because it's early yeah it's technically early for us <laughs> <laughs> what led you to drums this is like an ex- this is first of all I grew up in a like a musical family. Grew up in a little small town outside of Birmingham, mm-hmm. Adamsville, which is only a town of three or four thousand people. Mm-hmm. But a town where a lot of people, you know, young people moved and had kids. So there were kids everywhere. Like my street was covered up with kids. Mm-hmm. And I grew up in a town. I grew up in a place that was kind of nurturing to do whatever you wanted to do because there's a lot of young people around. And also, I grew up in a musical family. Oh. Uh, my dad's a steel guitar player still. Um, my mom was a club singer back in the day. My grandparents had a radio show in the 40s in Anniston, Alabama. So uh, you're used to this. You, yeah. You, my you, un- you recognize the microphone. Yeah. My uncle was an aspiring country music artist, came to Nashville, cut demos, tried to get a record deal. Wow. You know, my cousin, who I've played in bands with my entire life, you know, was a really good guitar player, and we played in all kind of different bands. So I was kind of grew up in it, you know, brought up in it. Mm-hmm to play something. When I was four years old, looking through the Sears and Roebuck catalog, I just saw like the drum set and I pointed to that as I want that mom, Mm -hmm. you know, and you know, people say that, you know, kids get into music, you know, to get chicks. Well, that couldn't have been the case. And for me, cause I didn't even know what a chick was, you know what I mean? I just liked it. You know what I mean? I just wanted the drum kit. They got it for me. It's a toy drum kit. It's still in my parents' attic in Alabama. It's broken down. You know, it's just like a shell of what it used to be. Um, and I kind of took to it, you know, your parents probably monitor what you're into, you know, when you're a kid and, you know, either you take to it or you don't. They could see I was taking to it. So at seven yeah. years old, they brought me another drum kit that was like a small drum kit, that, but a real drum kit scaled down for a little guy. You know, at nine years old, I got a full size drum kit, you know, and then they kept doing that. You know, my dad's, you know, still to this day, I'll never forget, you know, he worked overtime to get me my first, my first Pearl drum kit. Wow. Uh, for Christmas. And it was an unbelievable drum kit for like a 13-year-old kid, you know. 
I want to stay on what you're talking about now, but you're playing Pearl now. I am. Yeah, I'm a Pearl and Dorsey. Okay, <laughs> that's awesome. <laughs> it is. And your first full real kit was Pearl. Yeah. That's yeah. great. A World Series kit, which I still have. They don't make World Series anymore. Wow. It was a cream drum kit and had like the 22, and it was like a big kit. 10, 12, 13, 14, 16, a rack with it, you know. Simmons drum pads, you know, they went all out. They really did. Wow. Uh, so the singing part of it, getting back to what you're talking about, this is like an exhausted thing. A lot of people say that they're this, and I don't know if they really mean it, but I really am kind of a song-oriented guy. Yeah. You know, uh, songs have always meant more to me than, you know, how fast you can play something. Or, you know, yeah. I love, you know, to watch you know, Terry Bozio or Dave Weckl or, yeah. you know, uh, you know, the giants or, you know, sure. uh, to do their thing. And it wows me, but you know, yeah. it sometimes doesn't move me. And I've always mm -hmm. been more into getting, being moved than wowed. You know what yeah. I mean? Yeah. So the song or, you know, the song part of it, I think became, you know, you know, facilitated me wanting to sing yeah. just because I loved songs, melodies and, you know, from a kid. Yeah. And everybody does that at some point, you know what I mean? Everybody wants to sing or a little bit. They sing along in the car or in the shower or whatever, uh, you know, and I didn't really start doing it until I was, uh, I don't know, 18 years old or so. And I grew up playing in family-based bands as well. Like when I, we played in the Southern Gospel bands, my, okay. you know, from the time I was eight, nine years old till, yeah. you know, I was in my early 20s, which was really influential. You know, the chops of church drummers, yes, you know, yes, they, yeah, yeah, yeah. which I love to this day. Uh, it really, you know, I big time. I get off on that. You know what okay. I mean? Those type of drummers, right. finesse drummers, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That kind of praise and worship stuff, you know? Uh, I grew up in that. So, I mean, that was a big deal to me as well. And along with that, I started to sing with some of, the, you know, my family-based bands. But it wasn't until I formed my first country band, I was about 18, 19 years old, that I really started singing lead vocal in that band. Okay. And I guess I was okay at it. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, I think that, that brings up an important point where... It seems really natural for you, yeah. To because of your background with your family and your mm -hmm. singing, your interest in singing, yeah. Um, the, the love of the song uh, that makes you you fall into this uh, commodity that so many bands and so many artists need from a drummer. Yeah. They need them to be song oriented. Yeah. Um, there we can list uh, a ton of drummers that um, have incredible facility. Um, can play so much, but know when to turn it off and turn it on yeah. to serve the song. I mean, that's the challenge. And But also, I've seen you play, your facility, your ability to play. Mm. Um, it's, I think, though, you're, you're coming from, I it, from what I'm guessing, a unique point. Mm -hmm. um, e even though you've had a, you had a kit from very young, at a very young age, it's nice that it was nurtured from a very musical point. It's really, but yeah. did you did during that time because you had the advantage of having family, the influence of family. Did you ever have um, outside teachers or or anything like that? Any type of proper education? Yeah, my school music program was really. I mean, I, to this day, I still use high school, uh, you know, marching band warm ups to oh, before okay. I go on stage. Yeah, yeah, I was. Um, you know, at middle school, I started. I was, of course, going to get in the music program, and I did. Mm -hmm. And uh, and uh, you know, marching band. I was one of those guys. I was really heavily into that drum corps. Um, mm. 
March snare, three drums, and you know, for three years in high school. Okay. Um, and uh, you know, immersed myself in that. I was, you know, every fall when I was in high school, that was what I was doing was marching band stuff. And and even you know, my senior year in high school, which was very nice, the I got the Semper Fidelis Award from the United States Marine Corps. Uh, wow. For uh, you know, some kind of high school excellence. You know what I mean? My I think my my band leader or my uh, my my uh, instructor. You know the teacher uh in in high school had something to do with that you know because i guess he thought a lot of me and and i was involved in jazz band as well okay. you know reading jazz band and i was in our jazz band in high school i was a band nerd you know but did time. you think this is what you wanted to do so i'm going to get involved in all these these things i'm going to get involved in marching band and 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 or or no this is this is what i do this is that it was this is what i did you know what i mean by six you know it's in sixth grade going into seventh grade you know when they came to uh you know, they they sent a, a drum, or they send somebody from the middle school out to your elementary school if you want to be in the band, and they have you play. You know, just a couple of different instruments: reed instruments, a trumpet. Yeah. Try to you know hit something to see you know what they what you might be qualified to do. You know what right, I mean? Right. I mean, when I walked in there, I was like, no, I, I play drums. You know what I mean? Yeah. But what about a second instrument? Try this. You know, trumpet. I was like, oh, this is silly. I don't even want it. I don't even want this in my hands. I play drums. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> It, there was no doubt about it that I was gonna I was gonna play drums. So in seventh grade, you know what I mean, you know my parents went and bought me the snare drum and the stand and the sticks and you know what I mean the the thing that you had to have you know specifically f- to be in the middle school program. I, yeah, I was I was in. But did you have like a private teacher or? I took lessons when I first got you know around seven or eight years old when my parents knew that I was really into it. I took lessons for, you know, just a handful of times from, and, you know, the drum teachers, you know, in my area were probably, you know, I don't want to say I was more qualified than they were, at, you know, 10 years old, mm-hmm. you know, than, than they were, uh, but it was close. You know what I mean? It was yeah. just a small town in Alabama. So, you know, sure. you know, you had people that, you know, could play drum set and would, you know, teach you a little bit, but their ability to teach you only went so far, you know yeah, what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Until, you know, they, you know, when I, I, when my parents and I realized that, you know, that was these, you know, this guy's taught him as, as all, all he knows, you know what I mean? Yeah. And that was yeah, gone. Yeah. yeah. Fast forwarding to now, because uh, you're on the road, you're off there. Now, luckily, you are with an artist that tours all the time. Mm-hmm. And I know that during the off time, you are playing in town from time to time. Mm-hmm. But... Tell me about, like, what are you doing when you're off the road? Uh, how are you staying in shape? Um, uh, or how, well, start there, start there. Well, I mean, you know, staying in shape drum-wise is a little bit of a challenge right now because I have a one-year-old and it's hard to practice, Yeah. you know, uh, with him around. You know what I mean? They have to leave the house before I can practice. Yeah. Um, Stupid kid. So, uh, and we spend so much time on the road. That I usually don't really I don't practice at home. There are times when if we're in a an environment where we we're playing, and I set up and they've mic'd me and all that stuff. I go away and they've mic'd me and they've got everything done. We're playing a casino or something where it's in you know I'm not bothering anybody. I'll sit down and practice before or after sound check on my kit. Nice and just play a little bit. You know what I mean? Yeah. Play a little bit. You know, do something that you know just. Whatever I want to do, you know, the stuff that I don't get to do in the show, just something silly, you know, maybe, you know, 10, 15 minutes of, and I'll let them know too. I'll let the bandmates know, guys, I'm feeling real stagnant right now. I'm going to, after sound check, I'm going to just sit and play for a little bit, you know, 
but I don't practice much at home. You know, yeah. as far as staying in shape, I go to the gym and run. You know, yeah, four, sure, three or four times a week. Run. Four, well, and that's another miles. thing. And and I want to I want to ask you about that too. Um, but is there anything special like if you have okay, I've got time before or after sound check. Do you are you just thinking I'm gonna just I'm gonna explore something I'm gonna I'm gonna just try and tackle this or do you have something that you go to like this has always been uh, this is always this this groove or this type of thing has always been something I'm tr- I've been trying to crack the code on this part of my playing and so I'm gonna work on or is there anything like that I mean you know everybody's groove could be better you know and you could always improve on that but you know uh, you know. It, it almost becomes a thumbprint at some point. You know, I feel like kind of the, the way I play is the way I play, and yes. there, there's not much changing that. You know what I mean? What I'll see or work on is I'll, you know, YouTube or, uh, you know, on Facebook, you'll see other drummers post something of them playing something, and I'll just happen to catch something that they do or feel or something. I was like, hey, that's interesting. I'm going to remember that and take nice. my phone up. Yes. I take my phone up on stage and plug in my ears and see what that lick is and see if I can figure it out. You know yes. what I mean? Yes, yes. Um, and I also play in, you know, my gig with Easton, I play the original stuff we do. I play exactly like the record, the feels and everything. Yes. You know, from start to finish. It's almost a carbon copy of what Eddie, play, Eddie Bayer's played. Okay. You know, uh, you, uh, you know some gigs, they, they're not mandatory that you that you play everything lick for lick. You know right. I mean, this is something that they kind of wanted me to do when I got the gig. Yeah. So I do that. So, you know, within that, you can start to feel stagnant for a while once you've played, you know, something a, a lick right. in a particular going right. into the second verse you know you played it 300 times over the last couple of years and you know your crash and burns at the end of you know a tune may get stagnant because you're just so regimented to play in what you're supposed to play you know what i mean yes, yeah and i feel like you know like my hands are eating me alive where i just kind of fumble through a, a crash and burn i didn't like what i played those are kind of the things i work on like okay let me work on something else to you know to end this tune you know because yeah. that in those situations you do have the freedom to play whatever you want yeah, you know what I mean? yeah, 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 yeah. Like if there's, you know, if the record fades and you end it, and of course you don't fade live, you know, you put a, you know, you actually end the song on a diamond or something, you may put a crash and burn on it. And, you know, I always want to play crash and burns that are not the same thing every, on every, you know, I want a, I want a different crash and burn. And by crash and burn, you know, if anybody doesn't know, is the end of the tune. You know that, yeah. mm-hmm. you know, you can do that in any number of ways. Bow, you know, right. yeah. I always want to do something different on each one of those yeah. in our show, you know, and I usually know which one I'm doing and the band knows what I'm doing, but I'll address that with them if I'm going to change it and say, guys, I'm feeling weird about that crash and burn. I'm going to play it like this tonight. You know what uh, I mean? And those are times I'll go up on my kit and work something out mm-hmm. a little bit more, in, you know, a little bit different or more interesting to me. Mm-hmm. So... It just kind of keeps me, tries to, you know, that's, that's my version of practicing, you know, these days. Well, and I, I personally value that so much, the musicality that uh, you can bring to the table uh, as a musician first and a drummer second. Yeah. But there's, as a drummer, or that drummer part of your brain that sees somebody does, I know you were, you guys were, uh, uh, playing some with Charlie Daniels band. Yeah. <laughs> and you watch and you're like, I want to do that yeah. too. <laughs> what Pat does? Yeah. Oh, I know. Um, it's not, you know, I don't need to do that with my gig. Yeah. But that drummer part of your brain wants exactly to dive into that and yeah. uh, do it for your own amusement or show your friends or something. Oh, my Or the Lord. two drummers that are. 
in the audience. <laughs> God, man, I know exactly what you mean. There's some things that look, you know, almost unattainable. Like, you know, I don't know if I worked my entire life if I could do some of that stuff. You yeah. know what I mean? Mm-hmm. The part that, you know, Pat still does in his show where he... Pat just, McDonald, yeah, he plays Pat with. Pat McDonald, who plays for Charlie ba- Charlie Daniels, man. One of the greatest drummers you'll ever see in your life. Yeah. And holds up a sign or has something to drink or whatever. By the way, Pat, I have a drum head in there that we we played with him. And it's hard to find. I guess Charlie, they like to play a little early. Um, okay. Uh, or earlier in the day, like five or six. Mm-hmm. So, like, twice in the last six months, I've had to follow Pat. Uh, so they play from five to six or so, and we're on at, like, 6.45. Yeah. And so Pat played, and he knows, if you look around my man cave, there's a lot of Alabama stuff. I'm an Alabama fan, by the way, roll tight. And he, I don't walk up on the kit before we play. Um, we, we have our techs you know, kind of check everything. Yeah. So I don't walk up there. Our band doesn't walk up before we play. So I didn't know it until I walked up. Our intro music is playing, and I run up there, and Pat had, with a Sharpie, you know, written a very elaborate, perfect Georgia logo <laughs> on the center of my snare drum. Huge, with a gigantic G and said, Go Dogs, on the top, <laughs> uh, above that. Yeah. I have that drum head. I'm probably going to keep that for a while because I guess we talk football. When when did you come to town? How long ago did you move to Nashville? I had two stints in Nashville. This is probably something you don't know, Matt, but I my band, I referenced a country band that I started when I was 18 or 19 years old. And I, around 22 or 23, we showcased. We won a, a, we won a uh, country music you know, showdown competition somewhere up in, I want to say it was like West Tennessee or something. And one of the one of the judges there worked in Nashville, at a publishing company, and mm-hmm. he approached me after the thing, after the you know performance, and he said, "Hey, you guys are good. You should come and like you know put on like a little showcase in Nashville." Huh. Well, we didn't know any. We we're a bunch of hayseeds, you know. We didn't know anything about putting on a showcase, but we did. And he invited, you know, songwriters and a lot of people out. We played at the Sutler on 8th Avenue. Yeah, that's back up And again. I sang vocals, you know, about half of our lead vocals. It was one where the vocals was passed around. Okay. And I sang vocals and... It's 1976. <laughs> <laughs> Late 60s. <laughs> this would have been about, gosh, man, this would have been probably 95, 96, something like that. Okay. Nearly 20 years ago. And uh, maybe a little, 15 years ago. And uh, one of the guys that were there, uh, Rand Bishop was his name, and he had a publishing deal with Curb Records. He was invited out to see us, and he wanted to meet with us. So this was around, um, yeah, I would probably say mm, 90, 98, I don't know, something like that. Okay. Around 98, yeah, maybe 96 to 98. And he wanted to meet with us. So we went. As a band, we went and had a meeting with us. And he said, I'd like to work with you guys. Huh. On the condition that he pointed to me and said that you got that you come out from behind the drum kit and front the band oh, and wow. be the lead singer, and it was hard for me to say no to that because you know we had never you know gotten an opportunity like this, and also that was a little bit like band cancer because it took the lead vocal away from everybody else. You know what I mean? Yeah. And they were good singers as well. Yeah. But you know that kind of created a little bit of division between us. You know my hometown band, and eventually the band broke up but I continued to work with him on my own and I didn't play drums for a year 
And I didn't the, touch drumsticks for a year because I was focused on being a singer. And who who was you say Rand Rand Bishop Rand Bishop? Yeah. And who was he? What did he do? He had a publishing deal with Curb Publishing okay. at the time, and very established producer had been had a grant, you know, won a Grammy for, you know, had written a lot of you know, uh, songs in L.A. He came from L.A. and moved to Nashville when the Garth boom happened. Yeah, and. You know, successful. He co-wrote my list for Toby Keith, which was a, the most played song of that year. Uh, David's talking about Garth Hudson, the big Garth Hudson boom yeah, that's uh, from right. the band. It's a, uh, it was a polka band, and they yeah. were really good. Oh no, I'm sorry, Garth Garth Brooks. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> so I didn't play for a year, and that would have been in around ninety. Yeah, that would have been around ninety six, ninety seven, and I moved when I was twenty four to Nashville and worked with him. We worked tirelessly to try to get me a deal you know we wrote together and i cut a demo and you know a lot of the the top-notch nashville players played on my demo and i was a singer at that point wow and so i stayed in town for about a year and at that time you know what i mean i was 23 24 years old and i was a little bit you know i wasn't ready to do that you know what i mean uh maybe if i and i also didn't feel comfortable just being a singer because I felt like I was a drummer, you know what I mean? I, yeah. Like I was talking about earlier, standing up in front of a mic without anything, you know. I probably stood in front of a mirror and practiced, you know, trying to hold a microphone and just being that guy, you know what I mean? Like yeah. what Don does for you guys. It comes so natural oh, for I him know. because he's done it for so imagine. long. Sure. And for me, it was odd feeling, yeah. you know what I mean? But yeah. I wanted to work at it because, I mean, I love to sing. And, if you know, if I could get a record deal, then I'm going to get one, you know? Yeah. And this was around the time that, you know, Garth had begun to, fade and or had begun to retire or whatever he did and the music business was a little bit in flux and publishing companies were closing everywhere and mm-hmm. you know it was hard for me to make to get a deal I did not get a publishing deal or a record deal and I was a little bit self-confident about being what I what they wanted me to be you know what I mean and God bless Rand he's always believed in me he still does and I love him for it and he's been a friend for a long time and I'm very proud of that that demo we made. I'll have to play it for you sometime. We oh, wrote yeah. a couple of songs that some that I'm really really proud of. Um, and so I met a girl back in Alabama when I was visiting family. Mm-hmm. And you know when you meet a girl, uh, sometimes you know your life takes a change. So <laughs> tell I went, me what it's like, Dave. <laughs> <laughs> you know you st- you see stars and. You know, I was not really, hadn't really established myself in Nashville and, like I said, self, not really confident about what I was doing and didn't really go out and meet enough people and do what I should have done, you know. And uh, when I met this girl, I decided to move back to Alabama for a while, but I kept contacts in Nashville. Yeah. So around 2005, I came back. But when I came back, I was playing with a band, Carolina Rain. Right. And I had, Rand had actually... We were having lunch. I was in Nashville having lunch. You know, I wanted to, I wanted to be in Nashville. I wanted to make a living, really being a drummer, but I really didn't know how to go about that as nobody does when they're first getting started. You don't know many people, and and so I continued to have just a few friends that I would come up back and forth yes. and I, and have lunch with, so they could just keep me on uh, their minds. You know, real quick, how how long does it take you to get from your hometown to Nashville? Yeah, how two long? and a half hours. Two and a half hours yeah. away. Okay, yeah. but yeah. and he was having lunch with me. And he said, "You know, I saw I saw a band, um, and I'm living back in Alabama, working for Bell South, okay, you know, uh, and playing music on the weekends. Yeah, every weekend. Um, Big Fish, Small Pond, you know, yeah, which sure. I was a little bit more comfortable with at the time. Sure, you know, which is wrong, by the way. Um, <laughs> he said, I, I saw a band showcase the other night, and you would fit so perfectly in this band. 
And again, there's Rand Bishop believing in me, which, you know, if you're lucky enough to have somebody like that, when you move here, that believes in you, man, the sky is the limit because it, 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 it helps your confidence so much. I went to see them. I went to see a showcase that they played and was like in love. And mm-hmm. I, I don't think I've ever done this before. I walked up to Ren Boyer, yeah. their lead singer, and said, you need me in your band. <laughs> nice. And I, you know, this was before they had gotten their record deal, but I knew they would get a record deal. I knew it. They were so good. Yeah. And I said, I'm hitching my wagon to this. I want to be a part of this. Yeah. You know, cause, and that would put me back in the drum spot. Did they have a drummer? They, you know, they were in and out of band, mate, you know, band play, you know, band. They never had a, you know, specific one set of guys that played for them all the time. They were picking and choosing because they didn't have many, you know, much work. Nice. You know how that okay. is in Nashville. Sure. Uh-huh. And uh, I, I met with Ren, I think, a month later on New Year's Eve. I had lunch with him on 21st, drove all the way up, and, had, and he gave me material, and I buried myself in that material and learned mm-hmm. that backwards and forwards. Mm-hmm. And they got a record deal, and I went along with them. Yeah. And that would have been in 2004, 2005. So I've been back for 10 years. Yeah. I think I was uh, I had I was friends on MySpace mm-hmm. with Carolina Ray. Mm-hmm. That's how long ago it was. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I do remember that. Absolutely. Yeah. I still love those guys. I love that. I played that. We're looking in my man cave right now. There is a their last single ever released. I got to play on their second record that they yeah, made with that. Yeah. Equity. Yeah. And uh the last single they released before the record label folded and eventually the band broke up was Way to the World and I played on that single, which, right, okay. which to this day I'm really proud of, you know. And I, I might have learned that song. Really? For the for the one <laughs> When you sub for me? When I sub for you the one time. <laughs> yeah, and I, think I love it, it. You had to learn you had to learn my, my lit did you learn yeah. my licks? Uh, of course. That's the <laughs> I'm m- sorry. modus operandi. No, man, no, it's wonderful, wonderful. <laughs> That was a trip. That was a trip. That was a trip down to Florida, and it was um, it was Tim Galloway and I yeah. uh, filling in, yeah. and uh, that was great. Yeah. I love that band. You know, they never really, you know, they they had a couple of semi successful songs. You know, mm-hmm. that made got in the got in the in the twenties of uh, you know, in the, somewhere in the mid twenties on the charts. They just couldn't ever really completely break through. You know what I mean? And it's almost like they went on a three or four year long radio tour. You know what I mean? That where they never really got over the hump, but they were a great band. Yeah, God, a great yeah. band, and still friends of mine. Yeah, good. Well, and in in this town, for example, uh, it's small enough that uh, you, you have to maintain those relationships. You have to maintain at least a certain amount of healthy relationship mm-hmm. with people that you work with. It's or, key. Yeah, it's well, absolutely key. So after that, what happened? So that ended. You know, you know, given that was my, and probably everybody goes through this, you know, when it's your first gig or first uh, national gig, you know, if that ends or you get fired or, you know, whatever, if you don't have anything else, there's a scary little period, you know what I mean? You don't know you've, you you know, and it's important to while you're, when you get your first opportunity to meet as many people as you possibly can, you know, and play with as many people, different bass players, different keyboard players, get different guitar players, as many as you can. Right to, you know, form relationships like what you're talking about. Because if you don't, then nobody's going to remember who you are. And when a gig ends, then you're left out in the lurch. Luckily, you know, I had met enough people. And I think when Carolina Rain thing was over, I think I had done a few gigs with Katie Armager. Yeah. still out making records. Yeah. I had done work. I played a showcase for her. I was called. You know, and it was again like the bass player that was playing for Carolina Rain. You know, he knew of something else going on yeah. that they needed a drummer for, and you know, you call your friends yeah. to play 
you know, to, to, to play gigs, you know, when you can. Well, I know a great drummer, you know what mm-hmm. I mean? So I was called for that, and I went that next year, I think, I went on Katie's. She did a mall tour. Yeah. Where mm-hmm. she played shopping malls, like mm-hmm. Tiffany did. You yeah. know, Tiffany and Debbie Gibson in the 80s. She, yeah. They actually put the, put that together for her. Um, and it was odd. You know what I mean? We played at noon and at 6 o'clock every, like, at shopping malls throughout the summer. Uh-huh. And, you know, some were well attended and some weren't so well attended, you know. But, uh, you know, that kept me alive, you know, which I'm very thankful for, you know. Uh, you know, if you play a gig and, you know, you do well enough on it, you know, you, they try you out, then they'll call you again. You know, hopefully, you know, if you learn the material and you're easy to get along with and, right. you know, you're jovial enough on the bus, then, you know, they continued to call me. And that led to that. And the summer after, you know, Equity, Equity Music Group folded and Carolina Rain was kind of on hiatus and eventually no more, I went and did that that summer, you know, which was... With Katie. Yeah, which, okay. was, which was a lot of fun. You know, Katie's still a friend of mine, a sweetheart, you know. Awesome. And, you know, every, you know... Again, when you can like, you can you can no matter what it is, when you can just find a way to still make a living, you know it's like it's it's good. You know what I mean? Oh yeah. It, it, it may not be playing for stadiums. It may be playing in a shopping mall, but you right. know the pay was good, and I was very lucky to get it. I had just gotten married. Yeah. Um, that May and on June we went out and did that, and that you know allowed me to, you know, to pay my rent. You know, yeah. and my wife worked, and we were able to get by <laughs> you know what i mean right, and right. It, at some point in the beginning it's all about getting by right you know but uh, let me ask you about katie's gig though was that um was that an audition was that a recommendation what 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 led to that gig it was not really an audition they um they you know i think they called and asked if i could do something and it was they had trusted you know it might, might have been the bass player they trusted the bass player well enough to kind of put a band together or at least make suggestions on who to get yeah. for each instrument yeah. and so they just called me and they knew that i was out you know had gone out with national acts and played and yeah. and so they gave me the material and just showed up at rehearsal and that will went well enough you know what i mean i guess if it didn't go well enough and they would have gotten somebody else you know right, what i mean but right, it did right. go well enough so there wasn't really an audition per se she was 16 at the time 16 17 yeah. um yeah and uh, so, you know, I was able to do that for a while. But it, 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 without going into the auditioning process, but I mean, that you, going from one gig to another, you're relying on your reputation. You're relying on... A building reputation, build, hopefully. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, even though I remember when you were in Carolina Rain and you were a drummer who identified with that band, you were doing other things. You mm-hmm. were, you had... Uh, we both played for Jason Jones. That's right. You know, Jason, you know, very thankful for, you know, they would go out in the wintertime and play casinos and yeah. play clubs and Jason was a lot of fun to play for and that helped, you know, f- helped me pay the bills when... Sure. You know, when it's, when I had downtime going on other mm-hmm. places. And you were in that group with other musicians that you're going to make an impression upon, mm-hmm. uh, drumming-wise, personality-wise, all those things. And they're going to, like, a web go out and uh, to other uh, play with other groups other yeah. artists uh, and they're going to say hey we need a drummer do you know anybody yeah and hopefully you've done your work you've done you've 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 proved yourself as a person as a drummer yeah that uh, that it's going to lead to like what the bass player was able to do with yeah 
with Katie. Yeah. And bring bring you in there. And again, it's again, it's a it's a growing network. You know, let's say you get put on that, or you get put on any gig. A bass player recommends you for this. Well, then the guitar player, you know, and you've, who've never met before, they show up in the gig, and you become friends with them. Right. And they like your playing, and you like their playing, and then you may call them when somebody else calls you and yes. ask you if you can go and do this, and yeah. you know, and they'll remember that about you. Hey, this guy, he called me. And, you know, mm-hmm. David called me, and I got on this gig, and we were able to go out and make a good bit of money together. Right. This gig just opened up. I'm going to call him for it. You know yeah, I mean? yeah. That is, that is the key. Well, um, maybe I'm skipping a bunch of stuff, but can you tell me, like, what led to the Easton gig? Yeah. Um, or from, from Katie's to from Easton? Katie, from Katie, you know, again— uh, this is uh, the again the growing network thing of being able to play with guys and they become your friends and they recommend you for other gigs. From Katie, I went to Mark Wills and okay. played with Mark Wills for a year, which I loved. You know what I mean? I grew up on you know Jacob's Ladder and nineteen something, yeah. and you know I do cherish you and wish you were here and all that. You know, mm-hmm. so when I got called, Kevin Key, my buddy Kevin, yeah. who's a longtime friend, didn't have to audition for it. They, you know. Mark had been on Equity Music Music Group, the 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 record label that Carolina Rain was on. Yeah, we had played radio stuff with him. I became mild friends with Mark. So when I became a, their drummer, Mark's longtime drummer left. I got you know they called me and asked me if I want to go out and, and play with Mark, and I did for an entire year. It was great. I nice. loved it. Yeah. Loved it. Mark's such an incredible singer still. And from there, you know I. Uh, and just so you know, uh, I'm getting ready to talk to uh, Bryce Williams. Are you really? Yeah. Yeah. Who's, Who's playing with Mark right now? Yeah. yeah. He's been there ever since I left. He oh, was the one that replaced me. Awesome. Great. Um, and Bryce is great, too. I yeah. saw them downtown. That Mark's band play. They're so good. But um, I did, uh, you know, through Mark, this is another thing. You know, you, you, you want to pursue opportunities even when you don't know if you need to or not. You know what I mean? Yeah. And what I mean by that is it was June Oh, it was CMA Fest, the year I was playing for Mark. I don't know when that would have been, 2010, probably. And somebody called me. I think you may have put my name in because Brett Eldridge, they were auditioning drummers. I almost, I think it was you. Mm, I, you you I recommended know. me for something. I don't know what it was, but okay. they were auditioning drummers. They said that they, he was going to go on a radio tour and they needed some stuff, a drummer. They needed a band for CMA Fest, but after that, they needed uh, some stuff for the fall. Mm-hmm. Uh, band for the fall, and I was thinking, well, you know, fall is when things slow down. Yes. Uh, okay. Well, maybe I should go and audition for this. So I did uh, for yeah. Brett, and all they needed was a band, and I was playing for Mark. I was busy. Yeah. But uh, they needed a band for CMA Fest, and then they weren't going to be playing for three or three or four months. Yeah. You know what I mean? And he was going to go do radio, and they were going to do full band stuff in the fall. So I went. Well, maybe that's something that would work for me. So I did. I auditioned for it and got it. Okay. And I played the CMA Fest show for them, and. Brett released Raymond, which was a mild hit for him. Nowhere near the the success he's had now. You know what I mean? It yeah. was like it made it to twenty two or something on the charts. He's a superstar now. But that gig began to grow. Mark's gig, you know, he was reaching the point where he was not, you know, he wasn't playing as much at the time. You know, not he had a lot of stuff going on. He was doing stuff for armed armed forces and that kind of right, thing, right, which right. sometimes didn't involve the band. Brett took off, and you know had a lot of work. That next year, on into that next January, February, March of that next year, I reluctantly, they offered me the gig. I knew I couldn't do both for long, mm-hmm. so I left Mark. Regret, you know, I don't want, I don't want to say regrettably. I, was, I loved playing for Brett, but, I mean, I, I hated to leave that music because I loved Mark and that music. But I went and uh, 
played for Brett for a year. Mm-hmm. And after that, I left Brett and took the Craig Campbell gig. Right. And was with, and was with, with Craig for, you know, a year. And Thanksgiving of 2012, Thanksgiving weekend, we were on the same bill with um, Easton Corbin. Yeah. Um, it was a day festival. And Craig opened. He was one of the earlier acts. And Easton followed. And I think, you know... I'm not positive, but I think Easton's people were thinking about, you know, maybe making some changes in their band. And Lauren Ellis, who I had, you know, again, here's the network thing. I had, we had done a joint tour, Mark did, with Josh Grayson that summer. Okay. Where half of Mark's band came and half of Josh's band came. We melded into one band and we had a double show. So Mark walked on, or Josh walked on stage, and when he walked off, Mark walked on, or vice versa. Same band. Same band. Okay. Half of half. Lauren Ellis was the guitar player for Josh Uh Grayson. Yeah. He left Josh Grayson and took the uh, Easton Corbin gig. Yeah. And he had taught, apparently, Lauren had spoken highly of me the entire, like most of, I didn't know this at the time, but most of Easton's band stood side stage and watched our set. Mm -hmm. And... They we had uh, like had I had coffee with the band leader that next week. Yeah, they decided to make a change yeah. uh, at the end of that year, and I did have to go in and audition on it. Okay, so they saw you play. They saw me play. Yeah, it made an impression. I but guess. you still had to go in and audition. I did, and you know, in fairness to uh, any of the other guys that happened to audition that day, I mean, I know a few of them. They're my friends, but and I've done this as well. I you know I was probably going to get the gig. I was yeah. kind of the guy that was going to get it. You know, but yeah. they were going through the formality. Yeah. Of the audition process, sure. you know, which I understand they want the best guy. And even though they think they have their guy, maybe somebody else yeah. is more suited for it. You know? Sure. And I've been on the other side of that as well. When you went and auditioned and you knew that somebody was going to get it anyway, but you're just going to go in there to, yeah. to give it a shot and network. Yeah. And uh, I did have to audition for it and got it like January 3rd of 2013. I've been there ever since. Nice. Nice. Yeah. So it was a bit of an audition, but I, I love the fact that there was... Uh, that formal audition, and yet word of mouth, uh, reputation. They saw you on stage. They saw you doing yeah. your thing. It's a little bit of both. It's just it's a it's a combination of all those things. You can't just pin it down to okay. If you do this, you will get. It's not like you go in and apply for a job. You go through the interview process, and then you either get the job or you don't. It's very ambiguous. There's yeah. so many uh, variables in yeah. this business. Yeah. Um, especially well. Especially as a musician that's uh, playing a supporting role, yeah, you know, in this kind of live situation. Yeah, you know, even when you get the gig too, you know, they probably, you know, you get it, and they really want to take you out on the road for a couple of months and just make sure that you mesh with everybody. And even though you have yeah. the gig, you don't really have the gig until, yeah. you know, yeah. maybe a few months down the road when yeah. they know, all right, this guy's going to work out. Yeah. This is going to be okay. Yeah, you know. Yeah, well, and, and I think that that brings up a, a it reminds me of of just the other important issue that I think a lot of people need to understand is is your playing ability is part of the equation, but how you get along with people is another big part of the equation because you're on the road. Say you have a, an hour show, just just to keep it simple, you're 23 hours living with everyone else on the mm-hmm. road, and so that personality is a big. Yeah. It has to be. You don't have to be. I mean, you're outgoing, you you know, yeah. all that good stuff. But you, but at the same time, that's not a prerequisite. But 
being able to get along, being able to live, being having yeah. decent habits. Yeah. And I'm good at that and bad at that. You know what I mean? I mean, there are t- I get moody, and there's times that I'm not really you no, know, that, no, much, that much fun to no, be around. No, David, it's not true. <laughs> You don't, man. I think it is. No. You know what I mean? But, you know, you You know do. what? After we're done with this, we're going to uh, interview your wife. Oh, oh don't talking. do that. We're going to ask that. her. Dude, this is going to shatter what I just... <laughs> <laughs> I, you know, uh, I, I think I heard the guitar player for... Um, the guitar player for Def Leppard, uh, the new one, the new guy. There, you know, he's the new been Def Leppard? <laughs> he's been there for... I'm going to put a band together called the New Def Leppard. <laughs> <laughs> and we're gonna play like nothing that we're gonna play like old country and western. <laughs> you know, I don't know, but I think he said it's not all about being an Olympic athlete at your instrument. You know, being be able to get along with people is crucial. You know what I mean? And I, you know, that's something that we all work at because sometimes you're you know jovial and and you have a lot of fun and you're the life of the party. And sometimes you may be sick or you don't feel good or you know something's going on at home that's bothering you. You know what I mean? And yeah. you, you may not be that. Hopefully, you have a group of understanding bandmates that even when you are mm-hmm. maybe not at full, you know, full personality, that they, mm-hmm. that, you know, that they forgive you. You yeah. know what I mean? First of all, you need to keep it simple. Mm, yeah. Try to keep it simple. Yeah. I like to play things, and you know, I've gotten work this way. You know, I'm, I'm probably giving away my secret right now. I don't. I, I probably should just shut up. But I think it's very important. <laughs> to play the simple stuff with precision and play it powerfully. Yeah. yeah. You know, there's a difference. If you hear a drummer go, you know what I mean? Yeah. If he just kind of just mows through that and, you know, kind of plays that like it's not that important, Mm -hmm. you know, it's not as... It's not as effective as when you go, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Playing the simple stuff, really precise, and you know, right. and hard, playing hard. You know what I mean? I yeah. play pretty. I play pretty hard. Yeah. Um, I hit hard, and I didn't used to do that. You know, I came from a southern gospel background where oh, the, I didn't the, either. The Neanderthals hit no, hard. No. You know what I mean? Right. That was that was for imbeciles. Exactly. You know what I mean? Exactly. That I came. I used from to that. make fun of guys in Columbus that play too hard. I'm like, there's no finesse. There's no what you're doing. I came to Nashville, and they're like. You've got to hit the drums. Yeah, you've got yeah. to, and it's uh, this is this town. This is this personality. This yes. is the what. This is what. If if you're going to do this in in the, the modern environment that it is, uh, my sticks got bigger. My cymbals got bigger. My drums got bigger. Me too. Everything. Me too. Everything. I, and it's exactly. so. Uh, yeah, it does. It does change. It does change a lot. And then and then just trying like, oh my gosh, how do I do this? Yeah. And that learn. That's part of the learning curve. Absolutely. That yeah. that's part of the you know like. Finesse versus power. Power wins in this town. You know, mainly because country music is not what it used to be. You know what I mean? Like, if, of course, if you were playing for Merle Haggard or even playing a Merle Haggard tune, you wouldn't play Balls to the Walls. You know no, what I mean? That right. would be completely inappropriate. But country music now is pop music, you yeah, know? Sure. Even the gig I'm in, which is mainly traditional country, it still has got essence of, you know, pop music. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. You know? Mm-hmm. Classic rock these days would be played on, you know, or classic rock now is, or, the, you know, classic rock, what 70s rock and roll is kind of country music now. Yeah. You know, yeah. and you have to adapt to that. You know what I mean? If you're like a finesse player that doesn't hit hard, you're going to be swallowed whole. Yeah. You got to like yeah. really, you got to bring it. You know? And some of my heroes are finesse players. Me too. Me you too. You know, and I love listening. Yeah. And some of them are recording in Nashville. Like my, Matt Chamberlain. My left hand comes way back. You yeah, know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. God, it's probably up near my head. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, 
just to have the powerful two and four. Yeah. <laughs> right. That's the really, you know, I don't want to say that's the only way to approach it in Nashville, but that's the popular, I mean, that's, that's what's in now. You know what I mean? I don't know if that will change, but that's what's in now. Hitting well, the drums pretty yeah. hard. It's setting a comfortable base for yeah. the band and the singer to fall into. And but I still, you know, I still play a ton of like five stroke rolls in my hi hat occasionally, mm-hmm. Dave Abruzzi style, <laughs> because I love that. Uh-huh. You know what I mean? That's yeah, just kind of yeah, who I am. Yeah, yeah. So I play hard, but still try to put a little bit of like the well, stuff. He's a that good I grew example. Up. I, yeah. I don't know what he's doing these days, but he's just. We're a... friends on Facebook. I don't know what he's doing either. He accepted my friend request. That was nice. Thank you, Dave. <laughs> but he's a great example of somebody that has, would throw in some style on mm-hmm. top of a powerful. I love Dave's playing, even yeah, to this day. Yeah, like his yeah, yeah. St- when he was a Pearl Jam, his stuff. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Is still when I watch it. Especially watch him. You actually not in addition to hearing it. Actually watch him play. Yeah. It's, it's real infectious. It's fun. You know I mean, it's fun. And, and infectious now, is my one of my favorite types of drummers, like Sean Pelton and Kenny Arnold. Yeah, yeah, it's infectious yeah. to watch. Yes. You know? Yes. You yeah. wish you were played bass so you could just get up there right next to him and go, "Hey, let me yeah. dig on this for a minute with you." you yeah. Know? Yeah. Yeah. It shows in their playing, their movement, the body movement, everything. It gets you excited about music. Did you grow up listening to country music at all? Nope. Really? Nope. Yeah. Not at all. The first country gig I did, the guy wanted me to play a train beat, mostly on the hi-hat, and then snare drum two and four. You know oh, what I'm saying? Oh, wow. Yeah. I knew who Kenny Rogers and Garth Brooks was when I moved to town. I mean, literally 15 years ago. I did not know. I didn't grow up on I sometimes forget how much I've learned. I still think I'm a student. Well, we're all consummate students of everything. Absolutely. But I still feel like I'm, it's like, I don't know the history. Somebody says, let's play this Merle Haggard song. I'm like, okay, how does this go? And then once we start, I'm like, oh, right. It's like, it's again, to me, it's from the Great American Songbook. Yeah. It's like if you're learning, if you're somebody wants to start playing Autumn Leaves or if they want to do Ramblin' Man yeah. or if they want to do, you know, y- you know these songs. Yeah. And it's part of what you do. That's kind of so that did, now that is something that I do have in my back pocket I'm, that I'm proud of. I do know country music. I was kind of raised on it. You yeah. know, the first thing, my dad's stereo, which is the first thing he ever bought on credit that he still owns. I can still remember you know, Don Williams and Merle Haggard and uh, John Denver. My parents were John Denver fans. See, I grew uh, up on John Williams, not Don Williams, <laughs> but that's... <laughs> I got you. See, I remember that stuff from a very young age. Don Williams, I still love. Um, oh, I love too now. Yeah. 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 It's uh, really, really great music. Now, you know, along with that, I didn't grow up only on country when I, you know, once, you know, you can't be a child of the 80s and not know... Rick Springfield. And Bon Jovi and, uh, you know, and Rush and yeah. uh, all of those cats. You right. know what I mean? Everybody that was popular, Michael Jackson, you know, all that stuff, which introduces you to other things, you know, pop music and other harder, you know, hard rock. And, you know what I mean? So I grew up in that as well. When I was 13 years old, though, I went to uh, a country concert, the Judds. My, mm-hmm. my dad and I went. And my sister had tickets, I think, and she didn't couldn't go or something so she gave them to us mm-hmm. and i wasn't really listening to country radio at 13 i was listening to you know rock and roll and pop yeah. russell's heart open for them oh okay oak mountain amphitheater it was probably 1987 88 mm-hmm. and i was like 
that is completely what I want to do. That right. That's the coolest sounding thing I've ever heard. Yeah. And from Russell's heart, I was really introduced to the Eagles, you know what I mean, which yeah. has become my all-time favorite band, of course. Yeah. And uh and this is after the Eagles broke up, you know, immersed myself in those vocal bands, you know what I mean? Sure. I was just like, "Oh my god, that's and me being a singer." Yeah. That's what really uh, you know, that's what I thought was fantastic. Yeah. I saw him that night and thought, that's the greatest thing ever. And that was before the Garth boom. Yeah. So by the time Garth, you know, became popular and a lot of people got on board with country music, I was already into it. Yeah, know? yeah. And I grew up in the 90s playing in clubs and playing right. like Shenandoah and Brian White and Little yeah. Texas. Yeah. And that, you know. So you put me on a gig like that, you know, I'm going to know nearly everything. You nice, know I mean? nice. Most of that stuff I yeah. will know. and. That stuff was all introduced to me, uh, uh, and but uh, Restless Heart, a great example. I mean, definitely great man, John Dietrich. That's still a mm. John. I love you, God. Yeah. That's one of the greatest. Hey, he's a major influence on me. I love John's playing. Uh, man, okay, one last thing. Uh, I, I love the fact that your first kit was a Pearl kit. Yeah. And you're playing Pearl now, which yeah. I saw during Soundcheck and the Strawberry Fest, yeah. and it sounded amazing. Oh. And what uh, you were explaining to me, the model it was and the configuration. Yeah, for you know, for decades, you know, I don't want to say for decades, for many years, um, Pearl had so much, many different series. You know, Session, Session Plus, oh, yeah. Masters, Masters, Masters Custom, Masters Birch, Export. You know that I really didn't know exactly what the drums were. You know, I went through a period where um, I played other drum companies, and I was so lucky to get an endorsement with him. What I, The kit that I'm playing with, I'm playing now, is a reference series. It's called okay. Reference, which now they've come out with Reference Pure, which I would really love to have, and I probably will get next year. But it's the thought that every drum, the size of a drum, sounds best at different woods, with different uh-huh. woods. So the, the the 12-inch, if you have a 12-inch tom, it's all maple. If you go any higher than that, 10 or 8, if you went that high, it would have maple and birch in it in terms in the uh-huh. plies. Right. And if you go anything lower than that, the 14, 16, 18, you know, 20, 20, whatever, it's got maple. And the bigger you go, the more mahogany plies it's got in it. Yes. So like my kick drum's almost all mahogany. Yes. I love that idea. When I went, I was introduced to Mike Ferris, who's, you know, really, really fantastic guy. It's a wonderful guy to have me have in your corner. Um, he explained that whole process to me of the way they were doing it, and I was flabbergasted. I was thinking, that is amazing. What a cool idea for drums. You know what I mean? That is, I love that. I love that, that thinking. So when I got that kit, you know what I mean, I'm really proud of the way it sounds. Our front of house guy helps out as well. You know, yeah. Hopefully make that awesome. Make that sound. So good. you're endorsed with Pearl. Is there anybody else that that helps you out? I am an Evans drumhead endorsee. Okay. Which is really Diodario. You know they're right. the the big the parent company over all those things, and I have a Vic Firth endorsement. Man, I appreciate you taking the time. This is the first podcast we're doing, and we've got a ton of players in mind and a ton of great players already signed up oh. but you had to be my first guy oh thank you came I to mind that, came to mind as the first guy oh I just uh, it's it's working out well well i love getting together and talking with you guys today it was fun yeah we have so much more that we can talk about we have so much more that we have talked about that's probably going to have to get cut down here <laughs> but if we have to do it again 
we'll do it again. We're, we're going to see where this goes. Oh, yeah. Like so. I said, who don't love, if you do this for a living, who don't love getting together and talking about drums? Right, right. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Man, Thanks for I, having me. I appreciate you. Was the coffee passable? Uh, yeah, it is passing. I mean, it is. <laughs> <laughs> it is very passing. Man, I appreciate you. Oh,